0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org
1: So
2: this is a talk called the Way Seeking Talk, or sort of look at it as uh, what am I doing here and how did I get here? Uh, talk. And um, I was talking to Gil and he said, well, you know, how did you find the Dharma? And I was trying to get some sort of instruction. Okay, I'm up here, what do I do?" Um, he suggested uh, just sort of unwinding the uh, the tale of how one comes to the Dharma, in this case myself, and uh, sort of what happened. So it seems, and I didn't realize it at the time, many people come to the Dharma out of pain and suffering and etc. I was busy being an unruly youth, a pretty young age, in the 70s, involved with drug sex and rock and roll. I didn't think I was suffering at the time. But in looking back and the various unskillful things I entertained and did, there was actually a lot of um, pain and suffering. Latchkey kid, single parent, only child, somewhat lonely. Um, I had a lot of friends back then um, that uh, were also unruly and unskilled, so we did a bunch of unskilled and unruly things together um, so finally Dharma was sort of um, bumped into it you know back in the seventies if you know, they say if you remember it, you probably weren 't part of it as in the sixties and uh, i foggy in remembrance, but um, uh, to my chagrin uh, the, I found myself coming off of psychedelics listening to inadvertently KLOS FM down in Los Angeles and they would play Alan Watts lectures and I'd never heard of Alan Watts before and uh, he has since passed away I believe in the 80s and he was probably one of the early proponents of bringing Eastern thought to the West. Uh, He was an Englishman and uh, proponent of Zen and had just a wonderful way of words. Um, And those of you who were unskilled and took uh, psychedelics back then um, might remember that the process of a trip is basically unpacking and unfolding one's experience, and then when you come off the trip, it is a repacking of one's experience and sort of a review, and listening to Ellen Watts and the Dharma uh, really it felt like coming home in a way. Um, It was very uh, wholesome in an unwholesome um, environment. So I survived adolescence and teenage years and managed to uh, stop doing so many unskillful things. Moved out of the house, sort of got my act together, continued being influenced by uh, uh, what I heard initially. Uh, read a lot of Alan Watts and at the time, Shungpa Rinpoche was uh, just coming out with cutting through spiritual materialism, materialism as a freedom a number of other books born in Tibet and then there was Ram Das Be Here Now um, Paramahansa Yogananda's uh, Autobiography of Yogi and I was just very much taken with um, the Dharma in, in its different forms uh, one of the I consider blessings that uh, my, my mother didn't impose on me is she was an atheist so she left me alone as far as any formalized religion so I was able to kind of meander and find my own my own way so um, over over time found myself leaving the Los Angeles area and moving to Santa Cruz and um, pursuing basically the things that I loved which was at the time music and Landing in Santa Cruz was, uh, in the late 70s was, was quite nice. There was Babahari Das that was there, and it seemed that Santa Cruz was a magnet for, well, some excesses, but there was a lot of different wholesome practices being um, invoked and, and done there. So I was able to exercise uh, the music side of things, the dharma side of things. Um, it was mostly involved with the aspect of sila or action. Um, I hadn't developed a, a meditation, meditative practice. I tried earlier, and it really wasn't until coming to IMC that I was able to uh, settle on practicing meditation. It's uh, I don't know if anybody else has found it, but it, it can be very taxing and very difficult so the um the desire to do it on my own was was there but uh though i tried it didn't know what i was doing so I, it, it sort of fell away so from santa cruz days i uh sort of transitioned to well i guess one gets one's act together and establishes a career and uh Met my spouse and uh, went off in different directions and lived in St. Louis, lived in Miami, um, cobbled together a career, cobbled together a family, and uh, embarked on on that adventure in a way. Uh, really, the the aspects of the Sila that was formed early on sort of informed my. Uh, my life and livelihood Um, right speech, right action, right livelihood a variety of things were fairly well instilled in me but um, didn't have a specific meditative practice so living life um, enjoying it, having success in Silicon Valley it's right in the tech boom Uh, it uh, it was quite challenging, quite fun and then Uh, Life tends to throw you curveballs every now and then. I contracted uh, a pretty serious illness. I contracted cancer, which sounded bad, but uh, allowed me to stop, basically, doing what I was doing, being very busy with uh, career and stuff. And um, at that time, it allowed to, uh, to pause and obviously reflect on life so far. And sort of a great unwinding happened where what I was doing in the past really wasn't going to serve in the future. So the identity that one builds up as far as, well, what do you do, uh, etc., didn't quite uh, hold as much water. So over time, I reverted back to uh, rediscovering the things that I enjoyed and, and loved when I was younger. It was primarily music. I reestablished a connection with music and playing, and uh, I found IMC, which is a great uh, uh, and wonderful resource. So uh, at the time, uh, some friends were uh, live next door. Um, and uh, they said, "Hey, do you want to go to IMC and teach you how to meditate?" And goes, oh, I've always wanted to learn how to meditate." Okay, so it's one of Gill's uh, intro to meditation classes, it was—I uh, think it was five or four weeks at the time. Now I think it's expanded to six weeks, and um, it just—it uh, just stuck. Um, I found a great resource here in. Um, well, the triple jewel, the Sangha, the Buddha, and the Dharma, and developed over time uh, a practice of sitting and, uh, and retreat, going on retreats, and studying the Dharma. Um, so the process of getting involved in creating a practice is very... It's probably different for everybody, and everybody's mind's a little bit different. But it's um, it's interesting how you meet yourself, whatever wherever you are. It's uh, um, appropriate. Whatever comes up is appropriate for that point in time. And that's especially true on retreat, where you just get to stew on your own juices and get to uh, experience a variety of things. Um, I found that meditating and the process of meditating is somewhat like playing an instrument. I use that analogy in that it takes practice, it, takes a, it helps to have a daily practice, and it helps to uh, have good instruction. And generally the more you do things with right intent and right... Action, etc. Uh, the better you get at it, in spite of, in this case myself. I remember uh, certain retreats, um, just forcing myself. I'm going to concentrate. So, like, I would just like grab onto the object and just force the concentration, and just, oh, just so painful. I. Get, I a variety of people here have been on retreats and those who haven't um, you can really dig yourself into some really interesting holes that uh, you're just like oh my god what have I done (laughs) you just have to back yourself away and maybe the second part of the retreat is just trying to undo what you've sort of inadvertently done Um, so it's a series of trial and errors and a series of uh, sort of bumping into fortunate Experiences and unfortunate experiences and sooner or later you start getting the lay of the land and you start understanding oh, okay, in order to and this is a, an often said thing but it's very true in order to get to from A to B you really have to be in A you really have to invest in whatever is going on at the moment in time no matter what your would like to experience, or want to experience, or hope to experience. So, retreat practice, coming back to retreat practice, has been a very um, beneficial and central part, I think, to, to my practice. The, uh, the first retreat, for those who haven't been on a retreat, you'll always remember your first, I think, like other things. Um, uh, my first retreat was obviously didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I had to sit and be with whatever arose, and I was familiar with the hindrances and the notion of aversion. What are you averting? What are you desiring, et cetera, like that? So I was very intent in focusing on that. I had, and um, I still have some some pretty severe back um, issues. But I was going to sit there and um, from moment to moment focusing on the body sensations, pain, pain. <laughs> it seemed like hours, days of just focusing on, on that. And uh, inadvertently I got very concentrated and not really experiencing the terrain of what samadhi practice would do. It was like... Oh, this is like mushrooms. <laughs> uh, it's not, but it, there's similarities when you get concentrated. Um, your hindrances fall away. It's very blissful, uh, very joyful. Um, equanimity happens. Happiness happens. Everything is as it should be. There's no... There's nothing out of place. And... I thought, wow, that's it, you know, first retreat, done. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) that's not the case. So um, having that as my only template and um, I thought, well, that's what it's all about. So I gingerly went forward trying to duplicate that. And I spent many retreats sort of banging my head, wondering, okay, well, how come it's not working? I wanted that. And uh, I can be very thick sometimes and um, very obstinate and very, uh, well, um, it took a while to understand the difference between samadhi practice and vipassana practice and what leads to freedom and what doesn't. Um, but, you yeah, know, we all have our... our uh, Process to bear, etc. And so that was my path. So it's a somewhat difficult uh, endeavor to unpack that experience and sort of understand. Well, what really happened? And it's only through talking and reading and just experiencing other things that I realized. okay. Well, that was a that was a snapshot of what's what's there. But that's not really the point of this practice. This practice is to be present with what arises. And it's a process of letting go in sitting and also just in life. And it's an interesting correlation. The the more you're able to let go, the easier things are to be with. Um, And it's uh, kind of almost impossible to sort of to... I mean, you can hear the words and sort of... Yeah, I understand that, but to to see the practice unfold with myself and others and see how it um, informs and allows the... Uh oh, you know, the, the different teachings of the Buddha, the manifest, is quite, quite wonderful and quite something. Um, that was sort of an abbreviated sort of tour. I, I had a list of stuff I was going to say, but it gets the hell out of me. Let's see.
1: Oh.
2: Where are we? So, there are very various lessons that I guess I've learned and continue to learn. Some I have to relearn over and over until uh, it's gotten a little bit better and others you kind of get the first time um, some of it has to do with conduct and sila and um, uh, generosity and others have to do with the insight of how causes and conditions come about to um, how they come about and, and the, the ability to see those those things and it's really only in, for me uh, retreat that I'm able to sort of get quiet enough to sort of tap into those different, you know, hard to see things I take a, I like to say I take a long runway to get settled and um, I finished a month-long retreat this past February at uh, Spirit Rock and that's just about the right amount for a beginning part of retreat. I could have done a couple months easily. So hopefully uh, if cause and conditions are are, uh, fortuitous, we'll be able to uh, continue that in the in the spring. So, let's see, I've only taken up, I think, 20 minutes of, of an hour, and <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that much to say. Uh, um, I sort of see as uh, the involvement here at IMC, is, uh, and just practice in general, as a graduate degree in living, um, everything is grist for the mill and everything is practice. Um, There is really nothing that's out of the purview of what can be experienced, seen, etc. And uh, it's really and I hadn't realized this before and I didn't realize how difficult it was without it, but the, uh, the notion of sangha and, and friends, spiritual friends, is really, really actually very important to um, spiritual growth and uh, maturity. And really this, what we do here is sort of a graduate degree in being human. Um, there's uh, the things that one learns with confronting your hindrances uh, confronting greed, hate, and delusion, confronting uh, just unskillful and ungenerous actions. is uh, It's, you know, you have yourself and your actions as a mirror in order to sort of see where the rough spots are. And by concentrating on those rough spots, you... Uh, uh, It's an interesting thing that happens, though it seems like you're geez, you know, working all this not so great things. The things that you see that you might have done, you might have thought, etc., you might not feel terribly uh, inspired by. But by concentrating on those things and looking at them and seeing them as they arise, by seeing them they over time fall away. And what replaces them is generosity, uh, wisdom, and uh, compassion, and it's it's such a interesting process. And it's not like, well, I'm going to get wisdom, or I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to be more generous. It it just happens. Uh, you just become, and you are. Uh, there's and. It's such a slow, big process that. You're, uh, I was talking to a friend the other day, and you know, the practice you can be very intent on the minutia of one's life, of like, oh, you know, I always do this, or this always happens, and you know, anxiety or fear or desire or this and that. But if you were so stuck in the willows, so stuck in the trees, if you backed out and got a 10,000 foot view um, and saw the arc of one's life, how it changes over just a few years the changes that can take place with this practice in just a short amount of time given how many years we've been on this earth it's really remarkable and very quick Um, so I always tease Gil that we should have an IMC in every neighborhood because everybody should have this opportunity yeah, for for retreat also, which I'm very happy we're getting a uh, the IRC Insight Retreat Center up and running, which we've just uh, we just acquired. So, um, so practice currently is involved with daily sits, sometimes quite. Quite a few, since I have time to devote and uh, retreats whenever I can, and uh, sitting around talking about the Dharma—it's sort of a kind of a pretty nice life right now. Um, uh, things change, and I'm sure that won't be forever. But for now, um, the, the kids are in college; they're happy. Um, my relationship of thirty-plus years is good, and. Uh, she's happy, and so it's like, okay, for now everything's okay, and kind of tiptoe along it, because things change. You never know what will happen around the corner. So, um, I'd love to hear actually how other people's practices are, and if you have any questions as far as anything, I'm pretty open book not too many things censored. Um, I'd love to hear from you. That was my ramble.
3: Just from what I know about you, I know that you... I know you made a switch to uh, the work world, to um, I think taking care of your kids, and and could you talk about that a little bit and how that in, um, impacted your practice?
2: Well, uh, it was really the best thing for the family, really, to get sick so I could sort of stop, do full stop, and reassess because I, I have a very, um, I can have a very short temper. Uh, tempered. Uh, and um, I, I was a workaholic. I was 14-hour days, seven days a week, traveling, you know, being successful out there and really neglecting um, uh, home, home life, and uh, um, stopping, developing a practice, just uh, Allowed me to reevaluate and uh, change and see what was needed, really, and reevaluate what was important, what was more important. I mean, on your deathbed, you never go, "Gee, if I only had one more day of work." You know, you know who cares, right? Uh, it's you know who you love and uh, who love you, who you want to spend time with. So that uh, that allowed more more space and spaciousness in home life and um, it's great, it was was a great gift, really.
0: Thank you for your share. Um, I have a question. Um, As you took your time with the meditation and the practice, and things came up, and you saw yourself begin to change, and your values changed, and you became a different person. I would imagine that your relationships with your colleagues at work, your family, you know, not just your family at home, but maybe your brother, or you didn't have any brothers. I do have a brother. Oh Well, you know, extended family, and whatever. They must have changed. I mean, there must have been some challenges there as they noticed you've changed, as you've noticed... You're, you know, that maybe some relationships weren't as, you know, maybe you couldn't sustain them any longer depending on how mm. you were changing. I'm just wondering, how did you handle that?
2: That's a good question. Actually, uh, the relations I had um, became stronger and because I allowed more. I, uh, I had a practice of being able to turn people off. Oh, that's it. You know, Goodbye was my way of dealing with uh, adversity. I could just sort of like turn on the dime and go the other direction. So it, uh, you know, showed me compassion, patience, uh, empathy, putting myself in their shoes, um, uh, much more understanding. I didn't have to insist on myself and my, you know, my needs. It was... uh, you know, one of the things in this practice is that uh, uh, that I discovered is like, initially, when you, when I started sitting, I was amazed at the uh, the chatter in one's mind, in one's head, and it was, uh, it, was <laughs> it was really shocking. It was like, oh my god! It's like this is going on all the time. <laughs> And if this is going on all the time, I wonder if everybody else this is doing. it. We're all crazy. Um, And I started discounting what I thought. Because, I did not know, it's like delusional for the most part. Um, And um, sort of the process of reeling the notion of self back in and just kind of like, Chilling and cooling and, you know, not insisting so much on um, emphasizing myself and my needs, etc. sort of made room for others to, to be whomever. So, it's, uh, I think they were thankful. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know.
0: Thank you so much, Victor. I really appreciated hearing about your your path, and um, I hadn't heard it like I had tonight. So um, I have a comment and a question, which is to say that my experience of you is that you do service in a seamless, beautiful, generous way, and um, so much behind-the-scenes service. It's just... You know, it's impacted me just watching you do it, especially, you know, I can see some of the emails, and it seems seamless. And I think, in, I think it's one of the um, benefits of meditation is, is generosity and giving. So my question is, um, how has that been for you? I mean, is it is yeah?
2: It's a great question. So being raised as an only child... Matchkey kid, a male in a Latin sort of extended family where I could do no wrong, even though I was doing all sorts of wrong, uh, really self oriented. And uh, um, it, you know, this practice shows, uh, allows generosity to um, come about. I, I don't know. It, it's really the, I think generosity is there when the self, the notion of self, is toned down. When you're not thinking about me, myself, and mine. Um, you can think about others, and um, you find it's curious, and I didn't know this prior, but uh, you can derive great joy in seeing other people's it's joy. It's, uh, it's kind of corny, and, but it's, it's true, and it's, uh, it's, really, it's really nice. Um no. no. So uh, this practice, you know, for me, it started with paying attention to the hindrances. That was a huge sort of like <coughs> series of lessons of seeing what one was attracted to, what one was repelled against, and just sort of being with those things, and. As abstract as that sounds, it translated to, you know, people, people's thoughts, what they would say, etc. And just sort of seeing, oh, just seeing the aversion or the attraction, etc. And um, that changing over time, and it's really, it's not the individual, it's how you're meeting that individual, and so as that changes, those things fall away and the aspects of Brahma Baharas sort of kind of arise. So um, I don't know how much credit anyone can take because it's more of a process that happens. Um, and, you know, it's a great, it's a great practice. It's just better than sliced bread. It's really... I don't know if that answered your question.
3: I got all kinds of questions, but I want to leave room for other people to say things too. But you talk about things falling away and that uh, generosity arises and joy and wisdom. And just for myself, it it has always seemed to me that, you know, we can say falling away or maybe we can just say our own true Buddha nature starts to show itself as we get rid of some of those hindrances and it just starts to flower. Um, I don't know <laughs> which way it happens, but uh, I think there's an element of of us just coming into our own, um, our own being.
2: Yeah, I'm, I, I'm a, actually a big proponent of of seeing the causes and conditions arise to see how one finds oneself in what situation. The notion of Buddha-nature, or not Buddha-nature, like the notion of incarnation, if there's something else afterwards, it's one of those imponderables that I find not very productive uh, for myself. Um, I like to. Uh, I'm sort of old school. W- whatever I, I uh, whatever I can bite into exists, and uh, you know, if it's too far, then I, it, it's conjecture. Maybe, maybe not. Um, <laughs> So, um, though I do think yeah, maybe porpoises and elephants have and other mammals have uh, they don't they don't um, maybe they have similar or dissimilar things, but I think we're unique in our makeup that uh, we have such an incredible capacity for, you know. Compassion, or or uh, or or terror. Um, uh, skill, skillful means, and unskillful means. That it's it's really ours to develop, as uh, hopefully as we see fit, and uh, what hopefully go towards things that are, um, you know peaceful as opposed to not peaceful, but it's very easy to be delusional in this world, um, given that all the things that we're supposed to be attracted to are either to augment desire or push away things that you have aversion to, whether it's body odor or sexy smile or fast cars or whatever it's um, this uh, this, I find this world isn't really conducive to a real contemplative life it's and as sort of the practice matured um, sort of pulling away from the things that I found were entertaining in the past Um, so this sort of a roundabout way of of uh, sort of addressing whether or not there's maybe Buddha nature or, or not. For me, it's, it's a, a practice of seeing what is, seeing what can be seen, seeing what can be experienced, and seeing the rising and falling way of those things, and the changing nature of those things. Um, sometimes it's easier to see in others, but, you know, That's why we go on retreat. It's easier to see on retreat. Hmm.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for your, um, your sharing, um, your path with us. I, one of the things that I'm <clears throat> curious about, and, I, and I, I, I'm trying to think that when you were diagnosed with cancer, did you have a practice at that point? And if you did, um, how did you deal with it? And if you didn't, how do you deal with the residue in your practice now?
2: That's a good question. Um, uh, no, I didn't have a practice. Um, o- over the years though, I developed, uh, I can be fairly non-reactive depending on what's going on. Um, and um, at the time it's like, oh, okay just played the odds, okay what's the odds, how old am I, what do I have, what are the treatment, da-da-da-da-da and sort of went, went through the process of, I had a stem cell transplant and um, there's current repercussions from, from uh, I'm not cancer free, sort of a chronic condition um, but it wasn't a freak out, oh my god, I'm gonna die, type, kind of a thing It was a, oh, in this too, kind of a thing. Um, And it wasn't until uh, I had the time and settled a little bit as far as my involvement in the life that I had built up that I sort of reconsidered what I was doing and fortuitously found IMC. I live right down the street and I was, always drove by and go, oh, I wonder what inside meditation is about. Mm-hmm. kept on driving. Um, and um, um, I probably would have muddled along just fine without IMC. I was muddling along, I thought, just fine without it. But it's so much better with it, with the practice and with meditation and having a path that uh, I'm... Like to think I'm a, a Buddhist of convenience because it's right down the street. <laughs> Not very inspiring, but you know it's true. Yeah. and uh, and it's really fortuitous. It's great. It's absolutely wonderful.
1: So, my question is: I envision that um, that you have a cloud that is there. And I guess my question is, how do you mitigate that in your practice, if, if at all?
2: There's no mitigation. There's, there is or there isn't. I mean, whatever comes up, that's the reality. So, um, you know, suffering really comes from desiring things that are different, holding on to things that um, you have no control over. So, uh, with health issues, you, you know, try to do skillful things, take care of yourself, go see doctors, take medicine. Um, But, you know, this is a one-way ticket. You know, no one gets out alive. So, um, we all get to go through uh, old age, sickness, and death, right? Um, So... It's we're in all good company, so that doesn't really, it doesn't, that doesn't for whatever reason come up that much. Um, physical aspects there, it can be discomforting, and um, what one learns is to um, be with the physical and see where the mind grasps. Would you rather be someplace else? Notice that. Would you rather not be sick? Notice that. It's, um, you know, the practice is whatever is in front of you in your life. And um, hopefully there's a little skill involved where you know when it's, appropriate to push and when it's appropriate to give effort to a particular area and when it's time to just sort of like, okay, well, tried my best type of a thing. That's true with raising kids or being in a relationship or trying to, uh, you know, order something you want at a restaurant. They may not be out of it. You know, it's, it's the same thing really. One thing I learned that I, I should mention um, is the notion of, uh, sort of the basic tenet in Buddhism is the notion of suffering, or dukkha. When I came to the practice I, you know, I heard suffering, I was like, I'm not suffering, I mean, I'm okay, more or less. And the notion of me and suffering was you know, my arm was cut off, or you know, something horrible, that was suffering but uh, I didn't suffer, this is, this is fine, but um, suffering is really nuanced, and it's, it really does have to do with, uh, uh, there's bodily suffering, just, just because we have a body and nerve endings, etc., that, uh, that will happen. But uh, everything else is really extra. How you... Uh, attend to the things that come up, what you grasp towards, what you hope against, what you hope for. Those are all practices of the mind, really, that uh, you can see come up and over time choose to either engage or not engage with those things. And uh, it's, uh, It took me a long time to sort of understand suffering. Because I was fairly disassociated with my body when I first came to the practice. Um, being a latchkey kid, single mom, she, uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Merck's manual, but it's a, it, if my symptom didn't exist in the Merck's manual, you're fine, go to school. I never missed a day of school, ever. So the things of the body didn't really, you know, wasn't that important, so I sort of disassociated. So, you know, it's a process of learning, like, oh, well, you can ignore your body for so long, it's going to come back and slap you around and say, look, pay attention. So, um, um, I forgot where I was going with my, this little tangent, oh, suffering. Uh, so, attention to the, to the body and the nuances of the body can really inform just a tremendous amount, um, I notice that my body it will register something prior to my, my mind being conscious of it, of of you know, being bothered being annoyed or being whatever. Uh, it registers in the body. I find that it registers in the body first. So if I can tap into what's going on, I sort of it's sort of a kind of a guide or counter of what's sort of going on. And it's um it's great. That's uh, our vehicle for, for now. And uh, uh, that's one of the things that uh, was, was very important in, in discovering this practice and how, uh, how the body informs. So, so, mindfulness of the body is one of the um, instructions uh, for meditating, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of mind objects, all those things so the aggregates, if, if you get involved with uh, different aspects of, of what to look for in meditation and your experience um, those things are to be discovered and that's why I sort of emphasize and talk uh, uh, retreat because it's, it's very difficult to sort of tap into that, those nuanced areas just sort of day-to-day life because there's so much going on and you just can't can tap into those things easily. Well, oh, there's a question. Not really a question, but just a comment. Um, really appreciate what you've shared tonight. And there was also a woman I can't remember her name, maybe about a month ago,
1: who or three weeks ago, who just basically did the same thing of, of saying, this is my life, this is my experience,
2: this is my practice. And it's just wonderful because I don't think of, I mean, I hope this comes across the right way, but I don't think of you as an expert. Um, Got that right. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, here's someone like me. And... Right. It's really encouraging. Thank you. Yeah, no, it, you know, everybody has this opportunity to practice. And, um, we only get in trouble when we compare, like, oh, if I only had X or Y attainment. But it's, I sort of look at, uh, this is our rightful place. Um, when the Buddha touched the ground in response to Mara, he was sort of saying, you know, this is available for everybody. And, uh, it's, it can be very important and, uh, and it's, and it's really there to be picked up if one chooses. Uh, and there's a great, IMC is a great resource in which to pursue those things, get great teachers, great resources, great retreats, just have to make the time. And, uh, hopefully it's, uh, one will find that uh, it's time well well spent. So, thank you. Well, you've wasted 50 perfectly good minutes. <laughs> Paraphrase click and clack. And uh, I thank you very
1: much.